Hey everybody, this is Sarah Benincasa. Welcome to another episode of Well, This Isn't Normal, the podcast where we talk about how to deal with all of this stress in the wider world. Started out very much as a how the fuck do we deal with quarantine and lockdown and all that shit podcast and has evolved over the past couple years into just how the hell do we deal with all of this I call it a stress relief podcast. We talk about different strategies for stress relief and stress release. And if nothing else, I hope sometimes it makes you laugh in a good way. Not in a derisive, what a fucking asshole she is kind of way. But you know what? If that's it, maybe that's a stress release for you too. Um, And I also certainly hope that if you cry when you listen, that that's a positive thing. And that that's a nice release for you. So to put things in context for you, I'm up in the middle of the night icing my back with a, uh, a, a package of frozen organic cauliflower puree from Wegmans, the greatest, greatest of all grocery store chains. Wegmans Markets, oh how I love you. Uh, and this state of affairs came to be because after working out, um, I did a bunch of stuff. I, I uh we have a hot weekend coming up and my heating and cooling system has been busted for a few months. So um, I thought, you know what, it's time to get some HVAC, HVAC folks in here. And to do that, I needed to make sure they had access to the little little closet slash teeny tiny room where the mechanical stuff is. And so that involved, you know, I have a tiny apartment. I mean, it's not tiny. It's not tiny by New York City standards whatsoever, but it's 520-ish square feet. So I decided to not just rearrange some things um, and not just tidy up because I'm nervous about having guests over, even if they are here to do a job. Um, I decided also that I would get rid of some excess stuff. So give away some or recycle some literary magazines that I'm not going to read and, um, you know, just bring down garbage and recycling and different things. So at some point in the course of working out, I thought I stretched enough, you know, but I guess just things happen with bodies. And in the course of working out and reorganizing my abode, uh, I pulled something in the general vicinity of my upper right ass. And uh, that was painful. So I tried to sleep and that wasn't working. And then I thought, fuck it. I need to do a podcast episode because I try to do two of these each month. It used to be like five days a week at first, and then it was once a week, and then it was like whatever. Anyway, I shoot for twice a month with this thing. So um, if this is your first time with us, welcome. It's usually disorganized and rambly, and um, hopefully again at some point you experience stress relief as a result. So a few things. This podcast is supported by Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa. Right now, I am running an exclusive special offer. If you opt in at the $20 a month and up um, level, you get access to a series of exclusive behind the scenes videos uh, as I prep to create a really cool new um, fictional storytelling 
collaboration. It's an illustrated short story with my friend Robert Hack, who's a great comics artist. There are people who subscribe for as little as a dollar a month and they get access to four um, issues of my newsletter, Serotonin. They, what do they get? They get four private audio letters per month, which are just for patrons. Much like this podcast, well, this isn't normal. My newsletter, Serotonin, is available to everyone for free. And that's because of the support of awesome patrons who I appreciate so much. I want to shout out David in particular. Thank you, David. Um, but then there's stuff that you only get if you're a patron. Like if you're a patron, you get four private audio letters, basically a secret, non-secret podcast per month. If you are at the, and some people are at $1 a month or $5 a month, if you're at $10 a month and up, you get a bunch of behind the scenes posts with like photos and written stuff from me about prepping for this groovy, weird next art project I'm doing, which is a, a short story about a woman who goes to a whale therapist. <laughs> it's called Leviatherapy. And, um, the whale is the therapist and the whale is also the therapy office. So she goes into the belly of the whale and does therapy there. It's weird. And this is where I get to play with fantasy and fiction and a little bit of horror. Sometimes um, I did a collaboration with photographer Robin Bonswang called Arena was a Scorpio, which involved a lot of portraits and writing. And then I did um, one with Robert called uh, The Only Goat Girl, which had some self portraits that I shot. And then some portraits that uh, actually my friend Sarah helped me take. And then some illustrations that Robert did. He works a lot with different BBC properties. He's working on a bunch of stuff right now for the BBC, actually. I'm not sure if it's Doctor Who or what. But he does cool stuff. He does Sabrina the Teenage Witch and all kinds of awesome stuff. And um, anyway, for this one, uh, which is called It Worked for Jonah. Get it? It worked for Jonah. Whale therapy. Stay in a whale's belly. Might change your life if you let it. Anyway, um... Uh, for this one, for It Worked for Jonah, I'll be taking some self-portraits and um, and he will be doing some illustrations. So, uh, yeah, I'm stoked. So, patreon.com slash Casa. Pick your level. No matter how much you give, I am very, very grateful. Um, if you're at $10 and up, you get exclusive text and photo posts. If you're $20 and up, you get exclusive video posts. Got it. Great. Okay, here we are. Whew. We like to do breath work on this podcast. By we, I mean me. <laughs> and presumably if you listen, you don't mind the breath work. So if it's available to you right now, I want you to oof, move your body a tiny bit, whether you're sitting up or you're laying down. Be careful. You know, if, if you too have pulled something in your upper right ass, you know, be careful with that. Oh, thank you, cauliflower puree package. I love you very much. Thank you, Advil. Thank you, foam roller. <laughs> thank you, CBD oil bath. Who knows if that helps or not? I don't fucking know. With Epsom salts, that shit does help, I think. Anyway, uh, maybe you're hanging upside down. I don't know. Whatever position you're in, if it's available to you right now. <sighs> Let's do some belly breathing, okay, for three rounds. So, get your uh, belly nice and loose. So, not what you would do if you take Pilates. <laughs> you're not engaging your core right now. You're, like, really letting it go. 
Let yourself go. I give you permission. I encourage you in this moment to do that. Let's try and let those abdominal muscles have a little break. And they're still doing work for you no matter what. But let's take a deep breath in through the nose. And hold. I could feel I wasn't able to breathe too deeply yet because I'm tense. And now breathe out through the mouth slowly. Whew, upper right ass felt that one. Okay. Now let's try again. Let's take it a little more slowly. Let's inhale. Try and take in a little more air. And now hold. And now exhale like you're squeezing all the toothpaste out of a tube. Keep going. A little more. Now breathe normally. Ooh, if you can, like if you're not driving, say, and it's okay to circle your neck, you, you know, you don't need to maintain proper visibility at the moment, do that. Oh, breathe to yawn, to let in more oxygen, do that. Mm, okay, try taking your noggin, and if you can, if it's available to you, Drop your left ear to your left shoulder. Trust me, mine is nowhere the fuck near my left shoulder. I'm just saying in the general direction. I'm not straining. I'm just letting the weight of my giant head. It's not a giant head, uh, but it is sizable. And some people think that, that my hair is the reason that I will complain that I have trouble fitting into hats. No, it's it's my cranium. Okay. The weight sort of Pull my ear a little bit closer to that left shoulder. And I noticed that I was clenching that left shoulder, relaxing it now. Okay, now gently bring your head up again. Or, you know, whatever. Whatever position you're, you were originally in. Go back to that. Let's go back to one. And then take a deep breath. And exhale, and kind of drop your right ear in the general direction of your right shoulder. Upper right ass activated by that. I'm going very gently, and I'm making sure that I'm not squinching up my right shoulder, which is where it was before. Now it's kind of chilling out. Okay, and gently lift your head back up to center. All right. So, I hope that brought you a little bit of stress relief. And let's just remember, easy does it, okay? I'm going to go easy today. We're going to trust that whatever needs to be taken care of will be taken care of. There's a, a point where our ability to to do ends and... And the need for others to do uh, begins. We can only do so much, is another way of saying the awkward thing I just said. We can only do so much. I had a situation where I needed to get something to somebody recently. And um, I filled out the forms and did the things to get the thing to the person. Sent it off. 
Uh, but there are people whose job it is to carry that thing, to, to create the thing, and to then carry the thing and deliver the thing to the person. And those people did not do that job. Um, I certainly apologized to the person when they let me know, because I had promised them a thing that did not get to them. But I know, and hopefully the person knows, that um, I can only do so much. I did what I could do. Yeah, and it's disappointing, right? It's disappointing and it's a lesson for the future, certainly, and whom to trust to get shit done so that the thing that you want to get to another person actually gets to the other person. But um, it was what it was, you know? We're all still alive and hopefully eventually the thing will be created and brought to the other person. <laughs> That's vague enough, right? I'm trying to make it super general so it's applicable. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I want to briefly talk about um, how you organize your day, how we organize our day so that we can feel some degree of, of happiness uh, or or joy or peace or at least just have a moment to breathe. Um, my day very roughly goes like this, and I am somebody who lived for many years without a schedule. And I started to get a daily schedule about five years ago. And that was a good thing. And it eventually led me to make other good changes in my life. But um, so I wake up. Uh, I, uh, I pray. The prayer that I say. I meditate. I usually do some form of face massage. That helps me wake up. Feels good. Some essential oils. I just added dry brushing a couple weeks ago. That is a good time. That'll get your blood flowing and it's good for lymphatic drainage. It helps the lymph move around your body. And um, so dry brushing is a treat. You know, brush my teeth, uh, put my contact lenses in and um, recently added uh, exercise. <laughs> we'll see how that goes considering the situation in the general vicinity of my upper right ass. Um, uh, it'll be very gentle is my prediction for the exercise that I do tomorrow. Pretty early on, I have my first coffee. It's almost always a cold brew coffee. Uh, I take Prozac. Forgot that. Take Prozac. And um, I try every day to use my sort of foam back stretcher. It's just a thing that you lay on and it's great. Um, it's a like Pilates invention thing. I guess. Uh, I try to use that three times a day. So, you know, early in the day, I use it first. And uh, I have a full-time job. So I do my full-time job. And we don't have a lot of phone calls or video calls at my full-time job, which is great. I love that. It's mostly a lot of independent work, but we do collaborate. We do chat or um, we email each other. So there's writing that I do for that. And I, um, I go through phases where I use a standing desk, which is very good for keeping your body engaged and um, good for heart health, I have read. Um, I go through phases where I sit a lot. Sometimes I switch it up. At some point, I break for lunch. Did I mention breakfast? I usually like to make overnight oats because then I've got this treat waiting for me in the morning. Uh, so then at some point, there's lunch and... Um, I often start to run out of steam in the late afternoon, so I might take a nap, and then sometimes it's one hour, sometimes it's two hours, wake up, finish up whatever I needed to do from work, and um, if I have more energy, 
I'll get to some Patreon stuff. You know, I'll, I'll get to Serotonin, uh, which is the, the newsletter I mentioned goes out four times a month, or I will do one of the four audio letters that go out just to patrons. Um, you know, along the way, I'm, I'm texting with friends, catching up on what's going on. There is often a bath near the end of the day. I'm also spending time with my cat, by the way, throughout the day. But in, in the evening, I do like to unwind with an audiobook. Ah, oh, sweet, sweet audiobook. How I love you. Audiobook, audiobook, singular, audiobooks in general. Um, yeah, that and that's, and then eventually I go to sleep and I go through phases where I can sleep through the night and I go through phases where I try and I can't or I sleep for a few hours and then wake up and whatever. Uh, and then I do it this, the same thing the next day. Uh, you know, if I'm spending a lot of time on social media, which for me is, uh, I tend to spend more time, I think, than the average person does on social media. So, so if I'm spending a lot of time, that's really a lot of time. Um, if it's taking a lot of time, I'm probably not getting to do a ton of my own creative work. If I'm spending less time on social media, which is probably a more normal amount for the average American, I'm guessing, um, then I have more room in my mind to do more creative work. So that would be something like working on um, It Worked for Jonah, or it would be something like um, trying to write my next novel, uh, which I'm assuming I'm just gonna have to do on spec and hope somebody buys it. <laughs> and that's, a, that's talk about an undertaking, you know, like, uh, some of you know, if you're writing a novel, you could be writing upwards of 50,000 words, some of you 200,000 words, bananas, mine tend to clock in at around 75,000 words. Um, you know, I've published four books in the past, two of them were novels, one was a memoir, one was a book of essays, but it's been a minute. So I'm, you know, I'm not under contract with any publishing house right now. So I'm gonna have to like, just probably um, write the fucker, and then see if anybody wants it. And just like I've done with scripts, you write the fucker. But let me tell you, there's a lot more words in a fucking novel than there are in scripts. So um, I'm more in a day, right? Like the day I described is pretty, pretty full. Uh, if I've spent a lot of time on social media, that has sort of like taken my creative brain time. But if I haven't, if I've only spent a bit or none, I, I'm probably going to have time, like brain space, you know, creative space to actually do the other shit that I want to work on. Um, and that's, so that's kind of an average day for me, I guess. But there are days where I don't get out of bed right away. I wake up, I check my email. I'm like, okay, cool. And I go back to sleep. Um, there are days like today where I said, fuck it, I just need to rest. And I had the ability to do that for various reasons to do with scheduling. I was able to do that. Uh, there are days where I am mostly outside my house. Those are rare, but that happens because work's happening on the apartment or um, uh, I just want to be out at a coffee shop or something like that. That was, I mean, I used to work like that most of the time. I would go to the same coffee shop, spend way too much money every day. Just, it was kind of like my office years ago. And, and so obviously after the pandemic, that 
during, excuse me, the ongoing pandemic, after the pandemic commenced, that certainly changed and has remained different. So that's, that's kind of, uh, I guess, a portrait of my days. And, and if it, if I'm feeling, if I'm struggling with depression, or I'm dealing with, I don't know, other stuff, I've got other errands to do, it doesn't look like that. But that's sort of what it looks like. The, the key ingredients for me would be prayer, Prozac, meditation, um, eating good food, drinking enough water. And I've, added recently added regular exercise those things oh god coffee sweet coffee I love you those things are helpful I also need rest and quiet another thing about social media that I have realized very recently was was um you know I'm actually kind of a shy person which I don't I don't seem like a shy person but uh I was as as a child and shyness does come up for me um and more than that, though, I mean, I also enjoy people and can be quite gregarious. But um, more than that, though, I am somebody who needs a lot of quiet and a lot of alone time. So what I realized is the reason that I feel more able to generate creativity and art when I'm not spending as much time on social media is because when I'm on social media, I feel in a sense like I'm at a party or a crowded office or something. I feel like I'm around human beings and it can be really fucking draining. Sometimes it's fun, but other times it's fucking draining. And uh, to some extent, I have the ability when I'm socializing with humans to choose whom I'm going to interact with or whom I'm going to see largely on social media if I'm on Twitter you know certain stuff gets filtered out I mute a lot of people I block people I don't want to fucking deal with people but um shit gets through and people say all sorts of wild stuff because I don't exist to them I'm not real to them they develop a, a, a parasocial relationship with the sound of my voice through the podcast or through things that I write so they think that they know me because they've read things that I've written which appear to reveal a lot but they're getting a fraction of of the person I am Conversely, uh, I have that parasocial relationship with people who I see and follow online. And it can become really exhausting and really sort of throw off one's understanding of, of boundaries and what is appropriate to say to another human being or not, and what is appropriate to accept. Uh, and so these are just things I've been thinking about, and, and perhaps you have as well. I think a lot of us inevitably come to contend with these issues and it changes over time there are things that I would have written about or said online years ago that I find quite embarrassing now that I never would now um there are people who I befriended years ago in real life uh, or online who I would never want to be associated with now because I've done enough work on myself to know that those people were coming at me because they wanted something, um, not because they wanted to really form like a mutual give and take, mutually nourishing relationship. And that's something that I, I got into a bit in an earlier episode where I talked about how during this this time period, a lot of people have written to me and talked to me in person, um, online, on the phone, whatever, people I knew or strangers when I've brought the subject up have had something to say about how their their friendship life has changed over the course of the pandemic and how they have begun to whittle down the people with whom they engage um, for their own self-protection and for other reasons. So that's sort of 
you know, I started by talking about how my day is arranged and then sort of got off on a bit of a sidetrack about about social media and its role in my day and how that has changed and continues to evolve. But let's 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 go pretty old school. I've got a book right here um, called Daily Rituals: Women at Work. One hundred forty-three artists on how they paint, write, perform, direct, choreograph, design, sculpt, compose, dance, etc. It's by Mason Curry. If you've been a subscriber to Serotonin, the newsletter, for a minute, or you've listened to this podcast, you've heard or seen me bring up Mason a number of times. Uh, he's just, you know, fucking fabulous, and. He writes about, he writes about people's routines. Like, all right. And it's amazing. Artists' routines. It's, I find it so deeply comforting. Holy shit. Um, let's look at, so here's one uh, about Alma Thomas. She lived from 1891 to 1978. The first African-American woman to have a solo exhibition at the Whitney Museum of American Art, Thomas taught art to public school students in Washington, D.C. for 25 years while pursuing her own practice on the side. She didn't become a full-time artist until she retired from teaching in 1960 at age 68, and she didn't receive widespread recognition for another decade. The Whitney Museum exhibition opened in 1972 when Alma Thomas was 80 years old. Asked why she didn't try to become a professional artist right after college, where she had studied painting and sculpture, Thomas said it wasn't that simple. She told a friend that, quote, for educated young black people, there were so many expectations then, so many pressures to conform, end quote. But she added, I never lost this need to create something original, something all my own. Throughout her years of teaching, Thomas was always seeking out ways to continue developing as an artist. Starting in 1930, she spent three summers at Columbia University in New York, earning a master's in art education while in the city. She began devotedly attending its museums and contemporary art galleries. And in 1950, at age 59, Thomas enrolled at American University to continue her studies in painting and art history. She never married or had children, believing it would have been too much of a distraction. She said, A woman simply can't do justice both to a family and to art. She has to choose which she wants. After she finally retired from teaching, Thomas threw herself into painting full-time, embracing watercolors as her primary medium. She worked in the kitchen or living room of her small house in Washington, propping canvases on her lap or balancing them on the sofa. She claimed to have no regrets about her late start. I don't know how it happened, but it seems to me that I've conducted my life so that every time I came to a crossroads, I took the right turn, she told a visiting critic in 1977. And here's more from Alma Thomas. I never married, for one thing. That was a place I know I made the right choice. The young men I knew cared nothing about art, nothing at all. And art was the only thing I enjoyed. So I have remained free. I paint when I feel like it. I didn't have to come home, or I could come home late, and there was nobody to interfere with what I wanted, to stop and discuss what they wanted. It was what I wanted, and no argument. That is what allowed me to develop. If Thomas did have one regret, it was that not long after becoming a full-time painter, she developed chronic arthritis that made her increasingly frail. Do you have any idea what it's like to be caged in a 78-year-old body and to have the mind and energy of a 25-year-old, she asked. If I could only turn the clock back about 60 years, I'd show them. 
do you fucking love this woman? Oh my God. And there's this fabulous portrait of her taken, a, a, a photograph. Um, I don't have the photographer's credit, unfortunately, but it's in this book, Daily Rituals, Woman at Work. It's in 1976, so two years before she died, and she just looks fabulous. She's gazing off into the distance, and she looks beautiful, and and her, um, looks like a few canvases are behind her. Just, ugh, Alma Thomas, look her up. And I just, I love knowing that there are such, that there are artists who've made their way in the world so differently, you know? I mean, for a lot of her life, um, the school year, the school day what dictated the rhythm of her work. And um, I don't know, it just made me really happy. <laughs> but then, you know, she said that she felt that a woman can't give full attention to a family and to her art. And um, then there are other people who who say it's totally possible. But I do think that some sacrifices have to be made one way or the other. I'm not a parent. If I had wanted to initially pursue motherhood and marriage, and it probably would have been both for me, um, at a young age, you know, that would have really changed the way I developed as an artist. I think that for me, um, I feel more ready in some ways now to be a bigger part of family life than I did when I was younger because I needed to take time to figure out who I was and to develop as an artist uh, because that's just so important to me. And I had to try so many different things and do so many different things, stand-up comedy and sketch comedy and um, writing essays and, and writing books and hosting a radio show and then podcasting and acting and different things. And I guess like when I was younger, I just thought, okay, so... I'll, I never really fantasized about getting married or having children. I guess I just sort of assumed, you know, when I was a little kid, like, oh, okay, I guess that's what you do. Um, but I wanted to be some sort of crusading journalist. So I thought I would, you know, get great grades in middle school and then, and then high school and go to some fancy college and do great and then go to some master's program and be great at that and be some sort of, you know, fantastic Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. And that's not how my life unfolded. Uh, thank God. It would have been cool if it had, but I don't know. It just turned out I was into more stuff than I knew existed when I was eight years old. How about you? I mean, think about what you wanted to do and be when you were eight years old and think about where you're at now. I mean, my guess would be that if you didn't achieve those things, you're pretty sure it's okay because what a child thinks is the ideal adult life is often not actually the ideal adult life. I'm not saying you lead the ideal adult life. I'm just saying that however you arrange your day, however you pay your bills, like it's probably more grounded in reality and in lived experience than, oh, I saw this thing on TV, so I want to be that thing. Okay, now here's a, a bit of a different... A different lifestyle. Um, this is Alice Neal, N-E-E-L, uh, 1900 to 1984. Neal was one of the great portrait artists of the 20th century, although she didn't begin to be recognized. This seems very typical for women visual artists, uh, painters and sculptors in particular. 
Although she didn't begin to be recognized until she was in her 60s and had been working in near obscurity for decades. Despite poverty, critical and commercial neglect, and the responsibility of raising her two sons alone, Neil managed to paint pretty much every day, getting by on various forms of government assistance, initially drawing, drawing a salary as a works progress administration artist. And then when that program ended, so the WPA was designed to create jobs, right? I believe it was an FDR program, and it was groundbreaking. And a lot of the work we regard as foundational for modern art, modern contemporary American art, was in part funded by the WPA because those folks were, had WPA jobs, and they might be painting murals or doing administrative stuff or whatever, but it gave them the money to not starve and to be able to, to buy supplies and do their own work as well. Uh, and then when that program ended collecting welfare, according to her family, she was also a lifelong shoplifter. When an interviewer asked how she painted with two young kids in the house, Neil said that at first she worked at night while they were sleeping. Later, when they got older, she worked during the day while they were at school. She never seriously considered taking time off from her art. If you decide you are going to have children and give up painting during the time you have them, you give it up forever, she said. Or if you don't, you just become a dilettante. It must be a continuous thing. Oh, you may stop for a few months, but I don't think you can decide to stop for years and do a different thing. You get divorced from your art. In this and everything else, Neil refused to compromise. It was the artist's prerogative to be selfish, she thought, and she would not feel guilty about it, especially when male artists were granted these privileges without question. She told students in a 1972 lecture, I felt women represented a dreary way of life, always helping a man and never performing themselves, whereas I wanted to be an artist myself. I could certainly have accomplished more with a good wife. That is quite male chauvinist, but this was the world with which I was confronted. That is powerful. But this was the world with which I was confronted. The fact that she didn't have a choice, but that she made it work. I mean, she didn't have a choice in terms of, of you know, like I said earlier, right? There's a place where our ability to do ends and then other people have to do work too. And so she could do what she could, but she couldn't make the government change. <laughs> she couldn't make the society change. She couldn't magically create a world where women were legally uh, given the honor of being paid equal pay for equal work. We still don't live in that world. Um she couldn't magically create like subsidized childcare or healthcare. So she did what she had to do to get by, but she got it done. Now let's move on to a writer. And this will be the last example that, that I have for us. And again, Daily Rituals, Women at Work by Mason Curry, C-U-R-R-E-Y. Just really awesome and available in audiobook, by the way. Okay, so here's Lorraine Hansberry, 1930 to 1965. God, she died so fucking young. I did not realize she was so young. A beautiful portrait of her as well in Greenwich Village in 1959. Mm. Hansberry finished her landmark play, A Raisin in the Sun, in 1957 when she was 27 years old. When it opened two years later, Raisin was the first play by an African-American woman to be produced on Broadway, and Hansberry became the youngest playwright to win the New York Drama Critics Circle Award. 
The Chicago-born writer enjoyed the acclaim, but she had trouble repeating the success of her first play, and by the early 1960s, she was suffering from frequent bouts of writer's block. The days pass and pass, and I do nothing, she wrote in her journal in July 1961. Such times have been before. I just sit all day or traverse the streets in pointless rounds and then sit at this desk and smoke cigarettes. Would like to be working, but I'm in awful trouble with it. A few months later, Hansberry noted that the blobby, globby days were back again and that she felt that awful jackass feeling that I suppose is inextricable from being a writer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But can you imagine coming out the gate that fucking strong with a raisin in the sun, like at 27? And then, then what do you do? I mean, you've gotten all this acclaim, you've broken through a barrier, and then that's a huge amount of pressure. Things improved the next year after Hansberry and her husband bought a house in Croton-on-Hudson, about 40 miles north of their apartment in Greenwich Village. In the fall of 1962, Hansberry went there alone, planning to work or perish. She had never followed a regular writing schedule. So if you don't, don't feel bad about that, those of you who are writers who are listening. She had never followed a regular writing schedule, and she didn't try to adopt one at her new residence. They say that one should set a schedule and keep to it no matter what. Write no matter what, she wrote in her journal. I can't help it. I think that's awfully silly, this sitting down and writing like a duty. People celebrate it so much because it makes them feel that the writer isn't quite so precarious a creature. Hansberry did, however, believe in creating the proper surroundings for work. About five weeks after settling in Chitlin Heights, as she jokingly called her country house, she described her new home office in her journal. I have rearranged the workspace after the advice of Leonardo. Large, airy house, not too large, with small, compact, rather crowded even, work area. Desk, machine, drawing board, hem me in. I love it. It is as I wish it. On the wall before me, my photo of Paul Robeson and Michelangelo's David. At my shoulder, the bust of Einstein. At the top of the stairs, the Irish playwright Sean O'Casey. The company I keep, but just to keep things in perspective, I have made me a rather large reminder, which is now tacked in the most prominent place of all. It reads, and this is in all caps, but the child said the emperor isn't wearing any clothes, dot, dot, dot. The new setup seemed to help. Ten days later, Hansberry was writing again. The magic has come. About an hour ago, she wrote in her journal, a torrent of what I have been trying to write all along. It will be all right now. A lot of work, but I know what I am writing now. It came all at once when I was in the kitchen, and I wrote 14 pages in an hour that will hardly need revision, I think. Thank God, thank God. I could not have stood much more. So if it's not clear yet that I am obsessed with this book in uh, a way that I believe to be healthy, because it makes me feel less lonely when I'm stuck. Daily Rituals, Women at Work by Mason Curry. It's good stuff. And Mason has an earlier book, um, Daily Rituals, How Artists Work. And then he did this one because he felt that he had neglected... Um, enough women artists in the first one and um, particularly women of color I believe so he tried to you know create the second volume which is the one that I I have stained with coffee and love very much and he's working on a third book right now I believe so anyway all right well after this meandering episode about routines and rituals 
and what drains us and what sustains us, I'll ask you to take another deep breath with me. And let's do one more again, if it's available to you. And I want you to ask yourself, what is the best part of my day? What is the best part of my day? The follow-up question is, how can I expand that part of my day even a tiny bit? How can I expand that part of my day even a tiny bit now? Expand, what does that mean? Well, could it be longer? Could it be brighter? Could it be louder? Could it be quieter? Whatever it means to you, what, what would expansion mean to you? What would allow you to go deeper into that part of your day, to enjoy it more fully? Maybe it's not about stretching that half hour where you sit on the porch to a full hour. Maybe that's not it. But what can you do in the context of that time to make it more enjoyable? What would make it a, a deeper experience for you? How could that part of your day, the best part of your day, sink into your heart more so that you can carry that forward into the rest of your day or your evening? As always, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for putting up with the sounds of the city. Um, you know, I was thinking about trying to record in my closet, and uh, I think until we adjust whatever's going on in the vicinity of my upper right ass, uh, I won't be sort of like squinching myself down to fit into the closet to record. But um, look forward to that coming soon. Um, thank you so much for being here. Special thanks to the patrons. Special shout out once again to David. Go to patreon.com slash Casa to support this and other art projects. You help me pay the lighting bill. You help me buy the props and the art supplies. You help with so many things. You have no idea. You make my life better every single day. So thank you. And if you like this podcast, obviously subscribe. Give it a nice high rating. Write a sweet little review. Thank you to everybody who's written a kind review so far. Uh, I always forget to bring up that that helps others to discover the podcast. But this is the lowest tech podcast. Um, and I kind of like it that way. I like just talking to you. And yeah, it's, uh, I've done podcasts with lots of bells and whistles. I've certainly developed and piloted podcasts for different major companies and that's fun you know when there's when there's money behind it that's great but um this one is special to me which is why I've kept doing it for two years and I hope it's special to you too um so please take good care of yourselves and I will talk to you soon bye-bye